had a good week so far or had a good week this past week and uh, I know Sundays when it rains I have to admit I know how Baptists are and I'll many times I'll go oh man it's raining that's gonna keep people out of church and uh, but we need this rain for one thing and when we get together on a rainy day I can't help but think this and don't let it go to your head don't turn into a bunch of Pharisees but 
We're kind of like that inner circle crowd, the rainy day Christians, the Peter, James, and John crowd. I shouldn't say that, especially with so many sick this time of year. But uh, uh, anyway, I'm glad you all came out, and I hope you'll be blessed for doing so. Let's uh, go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do love you, and we give you thanks for this Sunday. We thank you, Lord, for the rain that's fallen. And uh, we just want to give you thanks for all the many blessings in this life. Uh, Lord, there are many that are sick, uh, that are under the weather with the seasonal colds and sniffles and flus and all those things. And so, God, we just pray that you be with them all. And uh, we do want to ask, Lord, that you would be with this church, uh, with our services today, uh, the singing, the praying, and uh, the preaching of your word. Help us to do all this and that it would be a dedicated form of worship, a way that we glorify you for what you've done for us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, let me mention a few announcements there in your bulletin. Um, but the Nativity, the Living Nativity, is this weekend. It's Friday and Saturday from 6 to 8. And who, who here is participating in that? Show me your hand if you're doing something. You've signed up for something. Okay, I see quite a few hands. Now look, an opportunity to serve for those of you that didn't get to raise your hand. We need some men. Uh, it's not going to be a hard job. And if we had, oh, say about four to do this, I think we would be able to take turns and nobody get bored doing it. Um, but we'll, we'll need somebody to kind of direct traffic. And what we'll have people do is come in the drive around the cemetery. If you didn't see it, we've got a little stable built back here. And uh, by the way, that was fun, wasn't it, men? We had a good time doing that. And, um, and I, by the way, I'm very thankful to everyone that came out and helped with that. But anyway, the traffic will be directed through. And then, for those that will, we're going to have refreshments over here. If, if we could have somebody directing over here to help folks park. But the point is, I need four men that will help park cars. Anybody want to volunteer for that right now? Nobody? I got one. But you can do that too? Got two. I feel like an auctioneer all of a sudden. Three. You're not doing something else already? All right. I need one more. Billy. All right. Now I'm counting on you. Now church, so we can hold them accountable. That's Keith and Billy, Josh and Matt. I, I, I'm kidding. But I, I do appreciate it. Keith can't do it? Okay. 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 Some of you other men, uh, at least come by, by the way, um, and, and, and drive through this. This is our first time doing it, and uh, if we want the Lord to bless this ministry, we need our church to support it. So just come by and hang out. We're not asking anything much of you. Um, use it as an opportunity to glorify God for sending Christ Jesus the Christmas season. Um, what else do I need? Oh, by the way, a couple more announcements that have to do with that. Since it is Friday and Saturday, the few days right before that, Tell your friends, your neighbors, um, remind each other, and uh, it, Facebookers, put it on Facebook. Or you can share the church. I, I put the Anyway, all that stuff. Uh, by the way, the Christmas card ministry is going. Uh, cards are in the back, and uh, so don't forget to check your mailbox. If you are a church member, you have a mailbox. Um, and if you don't tell us, and we will make you a mailbox, uh, we probably should check on that. Um, oh, thank you very much. Um, see, look, there's some stuff that doesn't ha People think I do everything. I don't. I preach. Other people tend to mailboxes or do vacation Bible school or nativities or whatever it is, and I'm very thankful for all those things. Um, also, although it's way out, 
uh, April will be here before you know it. Time keeps on ticking, and we'll have our Creation Museum and Ark Encounter trip. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that, and uh, I hope you've made plans as well. Um, those are all the announcements I have. Are there any others? What is it? Another announcement? Well, tell it. What? That's the announcement? Yes. That's <laughs> Now, in June, okay. All right. Yeah, I did see that. And Naomi asked me, she pointed, she goes, what is that? I was like, it's early is what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go, uh, let's look at our prayer requests. Um, there are many on here, but I want to mention a few and uh, whatever you guys would like to mention, you can mention before the church. Um, Miss Libby, if those of you didn't know, she had to have a procedure this morning. Uh, she has had um, a surgery, and she is back in her room now in recovery, and I think she's doing well, but uh, just pray for her, if you would. Um, would like that you, for you to remember um, Thomas Grossman and Shirley Shea. This is Karen's mother and brother. Her mother is just found out that she's going to have to go to a nursing home, and her brother is sick, and he's not doing well. Um, I would like to ask if you would uh, continue to remember my grandmother. I spoke to her yesterday, and she's one of those people that, even though she has cancer, and it, it, she doesn't even like to talk about it. She just sort of dismisses it. Yeah, we'll deal with that later kind of thing. Um, and I think that, honestly, I, I really don't think she cares. I, I mean, I, she knows where she's going. We know where she's going. And she's, she's allowed to take that route if she wants to. Um, but I'll just ask that you pray for her, cause, uh, and pray for my papa too. Um, I'd also, a, a few of the other names that have been mentioned in this past week, um, Todd and Jackie Howell. By the way, those of you, I think you know their situation. Jackie is um, going through chemo. She's in good spirits and seems to be doing well. Todd, I guess he lost his leg about two years ago, and it's hard to believe that. But uh, he, he is diabetic, and those of you... Uh, if you're diabetic or have family members that are, you know that they have issues with blood flow to their extremities. And he has a, sometimes he has sores that recur. And he has one right now on his, on his other foot. And um, just, just pray for that situation. It's something that keeps popping up. Um, remember the families of those that have lost loved ones. They're in that third section there uh, on your prayer request list. That is not complete, though. Uh, say again? That's right. Clyde Incom uh, passed away. Uh, Mitchell told me, was that a few days ago? Was yes, that right? this uh, funeral today at 1 o'clock at Bethel Baptist Church. Okay. All right. So let's remember the Kim family at this time. Um, keep Norma Bailey, Ann Chapel, um, Calvin and Jane Rushing. Um, I don't see him on here, but Hunter, the young man that was diagnosed with cancer, his name's on here somewhere. Do we know his last name? No. Okay. That's okay. Um, just remember that situation. Okay. Um, Warren Thompson and Richard Hall. Um, oh, by the way, and I've already mentioned, there are a lot of people sick. But watch this. Who here has been sick in the last month? <laughs> and there's a, a whole bunch of people sick right now. And it's that time of year. Uh, I think it's just part of our human condition. Uh, but nevertheless, it's not fun, is it, Daniel? Daniel got knocked down pretty hard last week, and 
Um, and if you've got a big family, it, it takes your family phases to get better. So uh, just remember those that are going through those times. Um, what other prayer requests would you guys like to mention today? Preacher, I'd like to share with my cousin Ronnie that yes. uh, he's been obviously afraid and he's been uh, paralyzed for the last over two years now, but a lot of prayers have went out over the years. And he's been paralyzed from his chest down, and God can do miracles. He does them every single day. He has feeling now about eight or ten inches below his chest. So God's working in his life. And God made the blind man see. God made the crippled man walk. God will make him walk again if he uh, chooses to do so. And uh, anybody that believes in prayer, you pray for whatever your needs are. And if God will work with you, and I guarantee God will answer your prayers in his time. Jill. The healthcare staff, keeping them well to take care of everyone that's sick. What else? Mr. Hubert Perry. Anybody else? That's right. My um, uncle and my uh, they're on here. Um, Neil Williams and, and Ruby Williams, um, remember them. I guess Neil's been looking after Ruby, and he, he'll be gone over the holidays. got a lot of traveling to do. Uh, I did write that down. Just missed it. Um, but remember uh, Ruby Williams and Neil Williams. Um, what else? Billy? Yeah, so Billy hopes to hear within a week or so. Anybody else? All right, well, let's go. You got another? I forgot. And I'm going to be getting Invisalign soon, so I hope that I'll go to Okay. All right. Um, well, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And Josh, would you remember these?
pretty day we had yesterday for the work at the church, and we thank you for the rain today, and uh, all the ones that's mentioned uh, on the prayer list, all the ones that's sick, we can't name them all, but you know them all, and the ones that's in the hospital, Lord, just leave it all alone, and Lord, just bless this offering, we ask all this in your precious name.
I have to point out a few things here uh, before we get, get started. Did anybody notice the little uh, graphic that my wife put in the bulletin for the living nativity with the camels marked out? <laughs> I told her, I said, we're going to have a camel. Naomi, Naomi says, cult the camel. Cult the camel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, what was the other thing? Oh, the other thing I think is in here, yes. Um, we will be taking up a Lottie Moon offering. This is, a, this is one of the Southern Baptist traditions. We don't have to do it, but it is something that we have done, um, and I would like to continue doing. We will collect that offering um, anytime really in the month of December. It says now until December 24th, but make plans for that. We usually take it up the whole month of December. Um, all right, and with that, we are going to turn to the book of Leviticus. And uh, I'm going to read a single verse from this book. And while you find Leviticus, I think most of you know where Leviticus is. When we learn the books of the Bible, most kids get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And after that, it kind of falls off, doesn't it? Um, but uh, Leviticus is a wonderful book and rarely studied, rarely preached verse by verse from the pulpit. And one of these days, I'm going to do it. Um, I considered doing it, um, well, next go around. I was going to consider starting it on Wednesday nights. I'm not going to, and I'm going to be honest with you. It's out of sheer laziness, because to do it justice requires much study and much work. Um, but it is, Leviticus is the holiness code of an almighty God. And so when we read the law, and it's just law after law, you are to wear this, you are to do that, you are to eat this, you're not to take part in these customs. What God is saying is that the Jewish people, Israel, is to reflect the character of God in the world that they live in, in a world where nobody else does. And so the call we find here, uh, I believe, is best summarized in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. But this follows uh, some... Uh, dietary laws, some things that people are to not eat and some things that people are to eat and that sort of thing. But the context fits Leviticus as a whole. I want to remind you that we have been doing a series on Israel. And first we looked at who Israel is as a people, their origin and their purpose. We looked at last week what is Israel's land. And we talked about the borders. We talked about the fact that it is God's sovereign choice to give and to take land. And by the way, that is true for America today. Uh, just as Israel heard God's call that said that the land had spewed out the inhabitants of it because their sin was great, the same thing can still happen today by God's sovereign choice. And today we are looking at Israel's worship. Now next week we're going to look at what we can know about Israel's future. There's much we cannot know, but what we can know, what is revealed in the scriptures, we will study. And then lastly, on Christmas Eve, we will look at Israel's king. So I would ask you today to stand for the, the reading of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. God speaking to Israel in the giving of law says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You may be seated. This is God's Word. <clears throat> and you could read that verse 
After every one of the thou shalts, and after every one of the thou shalt nots, and it would not be wasted. So as we consider Israel's worship, I want to make clear that we are going to discuss Judaism as it is found in the Bible, and we're going to somewhat discuss Judaism as it represents or as it is represented today. Um, and my wife is going to be tense the whole time because I don't cover all the types of Judaism. And that is not my purpose. I cannot do that. Um, but let me just say this. Judaism can basically be put into two categories. Rabbinic Judaism, which is what we have for the most part today. Now let me be clear that most Israelis are atheistic, materialistic, they care not for God. They do not believe in God. They are much like your modern American that has rejected all things holy. But of those that are religious, they are generally rabbinic Jews, which means that they are Jews in a tradition that has been handed down through the ages by rabbis. And so this uh, tradition, it would have began in the days of the prophet Isaiah when Israel was given in to captivity. And, uh, you know, if you think about Israel at this time, they have a sacrificial system, they have a temple, and now all of a sudden these things have been taken away from them or they have been taken away from these things. And so they have to figure out how are we Jews when we can't do the things that Jewish people do. And so the rabbis would read the scriptures and they would interpret how to live as a Jew to the best of their ability. And by the way, I believe that this began as an honest, earnest, um, well-intended thing, at least by most. But as it went down through the ages, some rabbis didn't go far enough on certain things, and other rabbis went too far. And when you eventually get to the days when Jesus was walking and teaching and preaching, he said that the traditions of the Pharisees were so burdensome that the people couldn't bear them, and neither could the Pharisees themselves. Uh, the other type of Judaism that we should consider would be just biblical Judaism. Now, if we look at what I'm describing as biblical Judaism, that would mean Judaism as the scriptures describe it without any rabbi adding to it and without any rabbi taking away from it. And that should lead you to a place where that Jew is a Christ-confessing, christ professing believer, but still a Jew. Now, when I say still a Jew, does that mean still taking part in a sacrificial system? No. That has been done away with. And so we'll talk about that in detail. But the first thing that I want to mention to you is that Israel's worship is God-ordained. Or maybe I could say that another way. God chooses how Israel worships. And that is so important in our day. Um... Now, this is God choosing the people of Israel, God delivering Israel from Egypt. And that's how he identifies himself in the scriptures over and over. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And I love this picture in the Old Testament because God does not come to Israel and say, if you guys are good and you become well-behaved little Hebrews, then I will deliver you, then I will save you, and then I will be your God. He didn't do that. You know what God did? He saved them. He called them. He rescued them. He parted the sea for them. He defeated their enemies. And this picture of them being 
led out of Egypt, baptized in the Red Sea, is the same picture that we would give of ourselves in, in our own lives. God saved us, didn't say, become good and then I'll save you, but by grace saves us. And then, upon being saved, gives us full expectation. Let me read it again. That you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy, thus saith the Lord. And so this is based on this worship that God demands is based not on us, but on God Himself. It's based on His character. It's not based on... It wasn't, he didn't go to the Jews and say, How would y'all like to worship me? What is your particular style of worship? Or if I let you worship me according to your own desires, what would that look like? He never gives them the option. God Himself chooses. And the primary way that God demands worship... Are you ready for a shocking surprise, New Testament Christians? It's through obedience. If you want to worship God, obey Him. Live a life of obedience to Him. And the same is true for Israel. In fact, there are at least, but maybe specifically, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Some are things to do and some are things not to do. Most of them have to do with morality. By the way, God defines morality. Not man, not culture, not society, not people with PhDs, not philosophers, but God Almighty defines morality. And He lays out a biblical morality, or I will just say a godly morality in His Word. He spells it, up, spells it out how we are to live. He spelled it out for the Jews how they are to live. And I'll remind you that the Scriptures say that to obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus didn't lower that bar, by the way. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so, just as the Jews were expected to obey the moral law, so are New Testament Christians to obey the moral law. Now, this idea that, that God chooses how we worship, I have to harp on this a minute because we live in a day and age where, well, many of our denominational divides are people that said, well, our church worships God this way. And they made something up. They said, well, this is the way we're going to do it. I don't, I don't see that in God's Word. I don't see Him giving anyone that kind of freedom whatsoever. And I'll just give you a, a real personal example Consider yourself some fundamental truth about yourself. Uh, in my case, uh, Allison is my wife. That is a fundamental truth. And if you say, well, I like Rupert, but I don't really like his wife, so I'm just going to kind of ignore that part of him. Let me go ahead and tell you something. Me and my wife are one flesh. You disrespect my wife, you have disrespected me. You ignore my wife, you have ignored me. God is the same way. If he says, you're to worship me this way, and you say, well, I'm not going to do that. My situation's a little different. I promise you, your offense against him is greater than whatever you could do against me. And so we do not have a choice in how we worship God. And by the way, we should always be considering this as New Testament Christians. When we gather as a church, are we doing church the way that the Bible says we should do church? And all we have to do is look to the Scriptures to see if those things are so but Israel's worship is God-ordained, and the New Testament's way of worship is God-ordained. Israel's worship is to be different from the rest of the world. Now, this second point here, 
This is the idea of being set apart, being called out. And uh, <clears throat> in fact, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 24 through 30, God warns Israel, the ones that he has given the land to, we talked about this last week, he says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things the nations that I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations. Either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of this land who were here before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge. You know what that means? It means obey me. Never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you. And never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Now what God's saying here is everybody else is doing it is not an excuse. They are more common or they are more numerous than us. They have these practices before us. Doesn't cut it. It didn't cut it for Israel then and it doesn't cut it for the New Testament church today. Now I want to speak about the Jew here for just a second. And by the way, when I say Jew, I wonder, does an image come to your mind? It does mine. I, I picture what we would call an Orthodox Jew. And if you don't have a picture in your mind, I did this as a test to make sure I was right. You can put in Google image search, Orthodox Jew. And what you will get is a whole bunch of men... All of them will be wearing black coats, long black coats. This is the tradition of the Jews. Uh, they will have something on their head. Oftentimes it's just the little skull cap, the yarmulke. But much of the time it's a, a big fur hat. These men usually will be bearded. And it's usually a messy beard. And that's because of what it says in the Old Testament. And they have side curls that come down their face. Uh, kind of a strange looking uh, way of wearing their hair, but this is based on Old Testament scriptures that tell them not to trim the corners of their beards or the hair about their temple. And so my point here is that God's law that says the worship of the Jews is to make them separate from the world, to make them distinct, it works even to this day. You can look at a Jew, at least one in You'll see his tassels hanging down. You'll see his dress. You might see him at the prayer time put a phylactery on his head, bind it about his right arm. You might see him reading his Old Testament at the appropriate times. But you can recognize them by how they look. And this was always God's plan. This was God's Old Testament design for evangelism. Could you imagine, I'm going to use kind of a silly example, but at the community picnic, when the Jews in the community say, well, we don't eat pork. And you can imagine, if I was there, I could almost hear my kids. We love pork. I hope you like smoked pork barbecue. And I could see Naomi going, why? And that's exactly what they would have done in that day. And it would have been an opportunity for the Jew to say, we serve the everlasting God. He has called us, and he has brought us forth from Egypt, and he has declared to us that if we are to follow him, that we are to eat no unclean thing." Or if they saw the tassels hanging down, 
or the untrimmed beards or the hair curls, whatever it might be. Why do you guys only wear wool with wool? Because we serve the eternal God, the true and living God, an opportunity for evangelism. Now, the Old Testament law, it affects how the Jew looks. It affects how, what the Jew eats. It even affects what the Jew can and cannot touch, what the Jew does and when the Jew works and how the Jew relates to people, both other Jews and Gentiles around them. It pertains to how the Jew relates to the rest of the world and how the Jew, and this is most important of all, relates to God. And so the, the Old Testament law, were the Jew to follow it, they are automatically an outcast in this world. That's a fact. And it has been seen down through the ages. And to this day, the Jew is still an outcast in this world. They are different. But I want to remind you, New Testament Christian, you don't have to wear a black coat. You don't have to wear a fur hat. You don't have to wear tassels on your waist. You don't have to wear a beard. Although, I have to admit to you guys, <laughs> I spent an absurd amount of time researching beards when I came across this study. Fantastic study for those of you that haven't done it. Um, I got to thinking, well, where did the clean-shaven tradition come from? And there's a different bearded tradition for Muslims. Um, and in Christianity, it is something that has bounced back and forth. And in fact, we see in the Old Testament that there were people groups that were clean-shaven, and they were usually pagans. Did y'all know that? So if I come in here with a scruffy-looking beard, y'all say, well, Rupert gave up, and he's giving it a whirl. <laughs> but the point is, they look different. New Testament Christian you should also look different. Now, I might can say you shouldn't dress like the world. And there's a lot of the world where I can say that, but that's not the point. The point about how you look different is by what you confess, what you say, what you believe, and what you do. In other words, does your heart look like God's heart? Do you love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? Have you given your heart to God's morality so that if your society... By the way, this is true in America. We live in a society where abortion is okay. You can go and do that in the world and be fine, but God says that this is an abomination before Him. Amen. Whose side are you on? Now, if you're a Christian, you must be an abolitionist of abortion. You must stand against it to stand with God. And so you will look different. <clears throat> you must live your life godly in all, all manner of ways. The Jewish faith was out of his covenant that he made with Abraham, and he said that in you will all of the families of the world be blessed. I believe that that same promise is carried out in the New Testament church today. The New Testament church is the conduit from God by which the gospel flows into the world today. So just as the Old Testament Israel was evangelistic, the New Testament church is to be evangelistic. Now look, nobody's going to come up to you and ask you about your beard or the tassels, because you don't have any, or about your big fur hat, or why you're not eating barbecue. Well, they might, if you don't eat barbecue. If you, do eat, if you don't eat barbecue, come over to our side. It's better over here. Now, I'll, I'll get on Romans 14 in a minute. But nevertheless, guess what you have to do, Christian? You have to tell somebody about Jesus. I think it was Vody Balkum that said, share the gospel. If necessary, use words. You know what the point is? This idea that, well, I'll just live my life as a Christian and people will look at me and they'll be drawn to Jesus. 
it would help a whole lot if you'd tell them why you live the way that you live. Tell them that you, like Israel, were in bondage. It wasn't Egypt that you were a slave to, but it was sin. That you couldn't claw your way out. And matter of fact, you didn't want to until you met Jesus. And He saved you. And then, like, the, like Israel, you were baptized. Not in the Red Sea, but in a baptistry or a local river or some old cow pond for some of you. I've heard your stories. But nevertheless, you should look different. And it's not... It's not like Israel where it's on the outside. It's your heart condition that is manifest in how you live your life. I'll remind you in Romans uh, chapter 12 that it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Everybody here is always in their bodies. If your body is to be a living sacrifice, this is opposed to a sacrifice that you lay on an altar before God, something that is killed for God. You live your life as a sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Said simply, live your life like Christ. Now the third point here, and uh, this is really where I should spend most of my time. I've got ten minutes. <laughs> but Israel's worship is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Another way, Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of Jewish worship. Now, if you go find those guys that are wearing black coats and fur hats and you ask them, well, my preacher said that Jesus is the, the whole point of your worship. Is that true? You know what they're going to say? No, we, we reject that. Matter of fact, I just heard a story this past week about uh, a young Jewish boy. Well, he was a teenager. I think he was 17. and um, He was reading the scriptures and somewhere along the way. By the way, they don't deny that Jesus exists. They just deny that he's the son of God. And uh, he was reading his scriptures, and no doubt he was reading Isaiah. I don't know that that's spelled out. But uh, one of the Messianic Psalms, or Isaiah, and he came to believe, well, this is talking about Jesus Christ. But because he's a Jew, he did what all good Jews do. You know what he did? He went and asked his rabbi. Well, guess what the rabbis say? They said, no, we reject that. That's not what you're supposed to do. You need to follow the Jewish tradition. And uh, we reject that Christ is the Messiah. We're still waiting on the Messiah to come. And so you know what that young man did? Went back to life as he knew it. Continued with his Jewish customs. But God in his goodness wouldn't let him rest. Put conviction on his heart. And that young man is a Christian today. But to do so, he had to step outside of his rabbinic tradition and step into God's holy word putting this above the traditions of men. And he found in his study that Jesus Christ was the one promised in Genesis chapter 3. He found that when he read the prophecies that told about the Son of Man that would come and give his life as a ransom for many, as is described in Isaiah, he was reading about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. While Israel expected a conquering king, it was given a suffering servant, and he was able to clearly perceive that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the rabbis, um, by the way, as I've said, I believe that many of them are well-intentioned, although they are blind, spiritually blind. They cannot see 
they do not understand the things of God. They do live uh, moral lives from the outside, as, about as best as a human possibly can. By the way, I think you all know this, but let me just harp on this for a minute. Morality does not save you. Morality cannot save you. If you say, well, I'm going to clean up my life and I'm going to be really good, and then when I see God, I'm going to tell Him how good I am, you have another thing coming. Because I have read the Scriptures, and the closer a man gets to God, the more wretched that he sees himself. Isaiah, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Daniel, the beloved prophet himself. I don't know of a more holy man in the flesh, uh, a, a holy man that's not Christ Jesus. It, you know what he did? He fell as it were as if he were dead when the angel of the Lord stood before him. Men will not give reasons why they should enter into heaven before an almighty God. Some of the most moral people I know, by the way, they're usually Mormons. They're somebody that believes in a good works salvation. Now look, New Testament Christian, you don't have to be scared that your works will condemn you, but you should still live holy before God because... Let me read it again. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And don't give me that Old Testament stuff. That same verse is in the New Testament. You should be holy or be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now look, we never get there all the way. If you say, well, are you holy preacher? I would never describe myself as holy. Never. Not on my best day. Matter of fact, not in my best five minutes. Would I ever call myself holy? But rabbinic Judaism, teaching the Jew how to live and what to do, and they, by the way, they tell the Jew that the curls, the coat, the hat, all that, that that is a way of glorifying God and how they live. But I want to remind you that if you go down the tradition of rabbinic Judaism and you say, well, where does this tradition leave? That there was one rabbi above all rabbis, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus gave the rabbinic tradition a capstone. You know what he said? He said, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that I can draw all men to myself. And some people today, there are Baptist preachers, Baptists, that will stand in pulpits and say, Israel is God's chosen people. That part's correct, by the way. And then they will say, the church is God's chosen people. Still correct. And then they'll say, the church is saved one way and Israel saved another way. Let me help you. No, they are not. Jesus Christ said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If the Gentile is to be saved, it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. If the Jew is to be saved, it is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Nothing else. And so the rabbinic tradition should lead you to the point where you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. He is the eternally begotten Son of God, and He came and died for the sins of all who would believe in Him. One of the uh, Psalms in the Old Testament says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. This is quoted in the book of Hebrews as well. And let me say it another way. The Old Testament is about Jesus Christ. We see in the Old Testament pictures of Christ. All of the feasts of Israel, they proclaim Christ. The moral law, it defines the holiness of Christ. The blood sacrifice, they point to the day where Christ himself would pour out his blood at Calvary. 
You know, if you go through the feasts, for example, the Passover. Remember when Israel would bring a lamb into their house and they killed the lamb. This was before the Exodus. And it says that they would put the blood in a bowl and that they would strike the lentils and the doorpost. And that when the death angel came in, it would pass over those that were covered by the blood, that were marked by the blood. The same is true today. And when Jesus walked before John the Baptist, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you're not covered by the blood, you are not covered. One Lamb, the Lamb that is Jesus Christ. That's Passover. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want to remind you that Jesus taught, I am the bread of life. When it comes to the first fruits, Paul tells us that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. At Pentecost, when you have two loaves of leavened bread... Remember, this is not normal for uh, generally leavening. It puffs up. It pictures pride. It pictures sin. It pictures, uh, well, something that is an abomination before God. But here we have a feast where there's two loaves of leavened bread. I believe that those represent the church, not puffed up by pride, and that they represent Messianic Jews, those that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, not puffed up by pride, but indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Puffed up by something else. And at the Feast of Trumpets, or what the Jews call Rosh Hashanah. And by the way, an interesting feast. I'm not going to get into this. But what do you think of as a Christian when you think about a trumpet blast? That's right. You're getting ready to meet God. The same thing was true in the Old Testament. When God gave the law on Sinai, there were lightnings and thunderings and and it was a loud trumpet blast. And by the way, the people were told not even to come near unto Sinai lest the holiness of God would strike them down. And guess what? At Rosh Hashanah, at the Feast of Trumpets, the Jews should be reminded that you're going to meet God someday. And Christian, you're going to meet God someday person sitting in here, you're going to meet God someday. And when you hear a trumpet blast, you should be reminded, I'm going to meet God someday. Someday I'm going to stand before God and that you must be ready. Well, I'll remind you as a Christian that while a life is required, a life has been given. Jesus said, I lay down my life and I have the authority to take it up again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. At Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, this would have been a a time when there was a blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And In Hebrews 12, 24, we read that Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the covenant of His blood, and to the sprinkling, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then at the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, And again, this is when they would have constructed these little booths or tents to remind them of their wilderness wanderings. And by the way, at a time where God was made manifest in a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and where we read that it was Jesus, we read this in the New Testament, that was among them, it was Jesus that led them, it was Jesus that punished them, that He came in the Christmas season and He tabernacled amongst us. And we know by reading Revelation that God says, my dwelling place will be with man and I will be their God and they will be my people. All of these feasts point to Jesus Christ. The moral law paints a picture of the morality of Jesus Christ, the perfect character and purity. And let me say something here. These people that try to pit grace against the law, they're missing the whole point. The law is good for them that use it lawfully. That's in the New Testament. 
love the law. The law is a schoolmaster. It is to drive you to Jesus. But the only time we talk about the law being abrogated, we're talking about ceremonial law. That's the part where you get to eat pork, all right, or, or lobster. I don't eat much lobster, but when I do, I like it. I only eat it at home, though. That's a messy thing to eat, isn't it? You know what God didn't do away with? How you live your life in marriage. He didn't do away with sexual morality. He didn't do away with how we are to treat each other. He did not, by the way, do away with criminal punishment. Criminals should be punished. And I hope that you will stand up for that. But when it comes to feast days and what we eat, go read Romans 14. That can be your homework. The, the short part is, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Literally had somebody ask me today if it was okay to work on Sunday. Here's the answer. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever ha has doubts is condemned if he eats because, he is, uh, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you can't work on Sunday without a good clear conscience, you better not have. Now look, the example I always use, I grew up with cattle. And we had hay to get up sometimes. And if it was going to rain on Sunday and we had hay in the field, you know what we did on Sunday? We got up hay. And we did so with a clear conscience because the other option was it would get rained on and the hay that God had given us that he had grown for us all summer was going to go to waste and the cows were going to go hungry. So this good clear conscience, does your family need for you to work on Sunday? Then you better work on Sunday. Does your boss force you to work this Sunday because there's an emergency down at the workplace? You might want to work on Sunday. But if you can't work with a good, clear conscience, if you're just working to work, I'm going to tell you this. This is kind of like tithing. Don't come to me and ask me if you should tithe. Romans 14 is your answer. I'm going to tell, can I tell you, church, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I am free from the tithe. I'm free from it. The New Testament says that all things are lawful. But you know what it also says? All things edifieth not. Do you know what that means? I cannot not tithe without a good, clear conscience. Maybe you can. I can't. Do you see what I'm saying? I can't. Matter of fact, what's the best check we write all month? The first one. It's my favorite. It's the best check I write all Better than the check I write myself. And God has blessed us in that. And he has blessed us in our endeavors to set apart a holy day, Sundays, but Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it, and he did completely fulfill it. You know, I do try to live a moral life, and I hope that you do too. But we should not look at the sick, sadistic, sin-twisted world and say, I'm holy compared to them. The mark of holiness is Jesus Christ himself. And can I tell you that we never measure up, and that's why we must be united with Christ. What Paul says is being found in Christ. He says that, I think it's 80-some times that he refers to being in Christ. Now let me tell you what you have as a New Testament Christian being found in Christ. This is from Romans chapter 8. I love this piece. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, 
By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You know, if all I had was the Ten Commandments, I would be nothing but condemned. Now, I've asked people the simple question. If you were to stand before God today and He said, Why should I let you into my kingdom? I've had people straight face tell me, Well, I keep the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. Not one of you ever has. In fact, that first commandment will get you every time. You say, oh, I do love the Lord thy God with all my heart. I, I don't have any false gods. Liar. By the way, that's one too. Thou shalt not tell a lie. Nobody got out of that one, did they? Thou shalt not steal. Got every one of you right there. I don't steal. Oh, you have. One way or another. We are all guilty before God in our flesh. But in the Spirit, in Christ, and in Christ alone, we are free. Now, I don't care what good works you do. I don't care if your side curls come down to your hips. They will not save you. I don't care if you're the best Jew that there ever was and you wear your black coat and your fur hat when it's 110 degrees. That won't save you. I don't care if your tassels drag the ground, if you never take off your phylacteries. I don't care if you pray a hundred times a day. If you do not have faith in Christ Jesus and in Him alone, you are not saved. I don't care if they call you the teacher of Israel and you're as holy as Nicodemus. Jesus told him, the Pharisee, you must be born again to even see the kingdom of God. I don't care if you're like the Apostle Paul and you say, circumcised of the eighth day, born of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, and as a Pharisee, blameless according to the law. And I was so zealous that I persecuted the church. And what he's saying is what I did, I did out of a love for God. You know what he said after that? I counted all his loss. You had to meet Jesus, Paul. And you out there in the pew, you had to meet Jesus. Your faith must be in Christ and in Christ alone. One way, I don't care if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the point of Jewish worship. He is the point of Israel. And He is the head of the church. He is our Savior. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, He is our King. And He is all in all. Let me just say as a bit of a primer for what's to come that Israel is a unique people, that they are chosen by God. They are indeed a blessing to all the families of the earth. The Bible spells out morality, but perfect morality is seen in the person and character of Christ, that only Christ perfectly loved the Father, perfectly obeyed the Father, that regarding feasts and special days and ceremonial law, you are free in Christ, but you are bound to Him in love. And that your life should, should show that. You must be in Christ. Jesus is the pinnacle of Judaism, and He is the pinnacle of the church. He is their promised Messiah. And let me just say something. While the vast majority of Jews are atheist and secularist, and then the probably the next most uh, prominent type of Jew is uh, an Orthodox Jew that keeps the law but does not believe that Christ is the Messiah. There are Messianic Jews. There are Jews that when they think Jesus, they think 
That is the Savior. That is the promised one. He is the Mashiach Nagid of the Old Testament. He is the sum total of God's revelation to man. And He came to shed His blood for the sins of mankind and to save all who would believe on Him. He is the author of life. He is the point of life. No, let me do better than that. He is the sum total. He is the point of all history. Every star that shines, shines for Jesus. Every person that exists will glorify God. Either... Willingly or by force. So the law, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The feasts, shadows of the Christ that was to come. And the purpose to bring many sons to glory. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you most of all for how it shines a light on Christ our Lord. And uh, God, may Jesus be the pinnacle of each individual life that's in this room today. And help us as a church to be those that set apart Christ in our hearts as holy. And help us to live our lives for Christ. Lord, it is our nature to be selfish, to do for ourselves. Help us to obey that first and greatest commandment. And to love our neighbors as ourselves also, Lord. And God, we just pray that this Christmas season that you would get glory unto yourself. We thank you for every good thing. In Christ's name, amen. I want to ask you all, if you would, to stand. I only know of one way to go through life not feeling guilty. I always felt guilty going through life. Always. The sense of condemnation was always on me. Until I surrendered to Christ. Now look, I can't convince you to do it. I don't even think it's possible that any man can. I think it requires the Holy Spirit of an almighty God to break a man. In fact, I heard one preacher say one time, God will do many things, but he will not change a man's heart. I thought, do we know the same Jesus? He sure got a hold of mine. If he got a hold of yours while Miss Betty Sue plays, come see me. Just walk up here right now.